Now, we're in a series. A series that we've entitled The Good Life. And what we are doing is we are taking a look at what we believe. I said last week at the end of the message, in this series you're going to know what's true, you're going to discern what's false, you're going to switch from the world to the word, and then you and I need to share our stories, the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God for salvation. Today we're going to take a look at how to know what's true. Now, I think we would all agree that we live in a topsy-turvy world. That what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. Americans, uh, a national survey done just a few years ago stated that Americans are concerned about the decline of moral values. I call it the crisis of credibility. Which means that you can find corruption at every level of society. Politics, business, sports, academia, entertainment, the church. And what is the cause of this crisis of credibility? What is the cause of this moral decline that we sense, that we see? Two words. Truth decay. Now Jesus came along several thousand years before this time and he said this. The truth will set you free. And when he said that, he was saying that freedom comes from truth. The more truth you and I know, the freer we become. Freer we become spiritually, relationally, vocationally, financially, just across the board. The freer we become to experience the good life. Now, I choose the phrase truth decay because I think it's what has happened over the last 60 years in our society. See, today we don't value truth like we used to. 60 years ago, uh, we knew more or less what was right and what was wrong. Though we may have not done it, we knew what was right and what is wrong. But today, we don't know what is right and wrong. People are saying, well, what is truth? Now, this idea that there is no right and wrong is called, like I said, postmodernism. And the idea behind it is what's true for you may not be true for me. And what's true for me may not be true for you. Now, this is really convenient in a society because guess what? We can all do whatever we want to do in our own eyes. And yet Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said, when you know the truth, the truth, you, it will set you free. He wasn't talking about a truth that it's out there. He was talking about the truth. And what has happened in this postmodern culture in which we live in is that we have begun to redefine words. And we've come up with this notion that there's just no absolutes. Now, can I just express my opinion about that? That is absolutely stupid. Because you and I don't operate that way. In fact, the world doesn't operate that way. In fact, it is illogical. The entire world operates off of absolutes. When you go to a pharmacist to get some kind of medication for some medical procedure that you have had, you say to the pharmacist, I want the absolute right prescription for the right body part at the right dosage at the right time. You don't come up to them and say, well, I kind of want this or, you know, just give me anything off the shelf. No. The world operates off of absolutes. 
But today in our culture, we have begun to redefine truth. We've begun to redefine words like tolerance. You see, tolerance used to be something like this, that you and I could disagree on something, but we would treat each other with respect because we knew that we were made in God's image. But today, tolerance doesn't mean that. Tolerance means that all ideas are equally valid. Now, can I share my opinion about that? That is stupid. If I say that the moon is made out of green cheese and you say that the moon is a rock, those are not equally valid ideas. Folks, there are some things that are right, absolutely right, and absolutely wrong, and they will always be absolutely right and absolutely wrong. Why? Because like we talked about last week, truth is not new. Truth, if it was true 2,000 years ago, it's true today. And if it's true today, it'll be true 2,000 years from today. Today, though, if you come along and you say this is absolutely true or this is absolutely wrong, whatever, and this is what we fear in our society, each and every person fears this, we're afraid and fearful that we will be accused of being called intolerant and, worst of all, judgmental. Folks, it's not judgmental to tell the truth. If you're bleeding on the side of the road as a result of an accident, your arm's been cutting off and you're just bleeding like crazy, okay? And I come up to you and I say, you know what, you're bleeding to death. I got to need to get you to the hospital. I guarantee you this, you are not going to say, don't you say that. That is being judgmental, okay? Why? Why is it not being judgmental? Because, folks, it's the truth. And you need help. And so today, in this message, we're going to take a look at two things. We're going to be building upon the foundation we talked about last week. But we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the signs of truth decay that take away our smile. A little, little pastoral humor, okay. Um, and you can tell I'm feeling better. Uh, got weird jokes. And, um, and the second thing, we're going to take a look at how you can know what's true. Because if you remember... We're going to take a look at where we can know what's true, discern what's false, switch from the world to the word, and then share our truth, the gospel, with other people. The first sign of truth decay that takes the smile off your face is immaturity. And in our society, we are getting more and more immature. We are expecting other people to be responsible for us. And if any of us here have a teenager that doesn't keep their room up, and then you've approached them, okay? Oh, yeah. Hey, why is this room messy? They look at you, deer in headlights. Well, it's not my responsibility. Hello, okay? In our society, with, with this uh, type of truth decay, immaturity, people love to change their minds. That's a reflection of that, isn't it? H have you ever talked with a teenager? <laughs> One minute they believe this, and the next minute they believe that? Have you ever gone into the nursery back here. They, those babies can change their mind that quick, okay? Notice what God's Word says in Ephesians 4. Let us no longer be like children forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made us and made the lie sound like truth. 
You see, when you're mature, not, not only are you responsible, there is this consistency of belief in your life. You're not wishy-washy. You're not being tossed by, by the winds here and there. The ability to know the di- you have the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. That is a mark of maturity. Now, as I talk about these signs of truth decay, I'm speaking of our society, but I want to bring it down, okay, to us personally through questions. And so here is a question for you in regards to this type of truth decay. Where or when do I act childish? When do I tend to act irresponsible? When do I tend to shift the blame to others, okay? When you and I do that, folks, that is a sign of truth decay. The second one is immorality. Now, when I say immorality, people just think of sexual immorality. Folks, that's one kind. The word immorality, or yeah, the word immorality means no morals. And if a society has no morals, guess what? They can do what's right in their own eyes. Who cares? It's kind of like the book of, of Judges. The book of Judges, the basic theme is ba- was this. Hey, everyone's just doing right in their own eyes. Uh, God put that in there because in, in, in the first part, okay, the Pentateuch there, God gave out these truths. And he says, you know, if you follow these truths, you're going to have life. If you don't follow these truths, you're going to experience death. If you follow these truths, you're going to live a blessed life. If you don't follow these truths, nation of Israel, this new nation, you're going to be cursed. And so the first, that generation, hey, they followed them. But the next generation, they failed to tell their story. They failed to share the truth. And so you see hundreds of years of this new nation, this kid going up and down like this, and it's summarized in the word, everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Kind of like our culture. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. They don't care anymore about right and wrong, and they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. Paul's saying there, you know what, I don't care what God says. If I think sex outside of marriage is okay, hey, so be it. If I, if I think it's great to lie on lie and cheat and steal, hey, that's okay. You see, how does truth decay work in our life? Well, it's really simple. The first time you and I do something wrong, it bugs the living daylights out of us, doesn't it? It does. But the hundredth time we do it, We don't even notice. And the more a society becomes immoral, the more they make fun of morality. So what is the question that you and I need to ask ourselves if this type of truth decay is going on? Simply this. What am I trying to rationalize in my life? Because you've heard me say this, rational, rationalization is, is, is telling yourself rational lies. And you know you are when you say this phrase, yeah, but. That's when you know the truth decay has entered in. The third sign is simply this, unreality. This is when people begin to stop believing in truth, and they will believe anything. Uh, being home for a couple of weeks to watch TV, most boring thing in the world, let me tell you, okay? I noticed that back on TV, I thought this was ancient history, but now you can call the psychic hotline again. Isn't that comforting? 
I was there. I thought I'd better call them. I'm not feeling good. I wonder what's going on. Maybe they could tell me. It's called the California psychics, okay? Folks, when, when people don't believe the truth, they'll fall for anything. They'll fall for psychics online. They'll, they'll go for crystals, tea leaves, you name it, okay? Today, we live in a world of unrealities. We live in a culture, think about this, where movie stars are considered heroes. People who play the role of pretenders are considered heroes in our culture. Let me tell you who the heroes are. The teachers in our community that are teaching our kids reality. Go God. Take a look at this verse out of 2 Thess 2, 12. Since they refused to trust truth, they banished to their chosen world of lies and illusion. Now, folks, let's don't, you know, mistake. We fall for illusions all the time, don't we? And one of the big ones in Collin County is this. Having more will make us more happy. Just not true. So let's personalize this. How do you know if you're in the unreal zone? Well, here's the question. Where are you faking it? Because wherever you're faking it, that's where truth decay is lurking. And let me tell you this. It can destroy your heart. The fourth reality, or decay, sign of truth decay, is illegality. Now follow me with this one. If there is no right or wrong, then everything can be considered lawful or legal. If there is no right and wrong, then in reality there is no law. And there is no law because we can now begin to redefine words the way we want them to be. And so as a result, people can get off on technicalities. That is called truth decay. It doesn't matter whether it was true or not. What matters is it a technicality. Now, what you need to understand is this. No one wakes up in society and says one day, you know what, I'm going to steal things. I'm going to lie. I'm going to rip people off. No, it happens as you and I begin to live on the edges and tell ourselves little white lies. The U.S. attorney, not too long ago, prosecuted a case against someone who stole $7.5 million from the Maryland pension from who was turned in by their mistress. In fact, this guy had two or three mistresses, okay? But this attorney general said this. I thought it was insightful. When we look for white-collar criminals, we know that if their life is a lie, then it's not confined to just their personal life. If they're lying to their wives, there is a huge potential. They are lying to their colleagues, their board of directors, and the auditors. You see, some people have fallen for what I call the Titanic myth, believing that they can compartmentalize their life and they won't sink. Can I just say this? If you're compartmentalizing your life, you are heading for a disaster that is of titanic proportions. God wants you and I to live lives of integrity, of oneness, of wholeness. And so, 
How do we know if this type of tooth decay is at work within us, robbing us of our smile, okay? By asking ourselves this question, am I cheating on the edges? The fifth one is idolatry. And what do I mean by that? It's where we begin to idolize the wrong things, and they take place as a higher priority than what they should. Folks, when you and I don't know truth, what we will do is we will give ourselves to lesser things. Because our values and our, our, our priorities are wrong, we will give ourselves and idolize things like wealth and success and athletic abilities and, and beauty abilities and intelligence and our cars and, and our homes and those kinds of things. Though those are not wrong at all. They're just not meant to be number one. Today, because of truth decay, we've got to flip-flops of values. We've got to flip-flop of priorities. It's like I said, we, what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. Today, we call black, white, and white, and black. Things are all mixed up. What's good, we say, is bad, and what's bad is good. Today, there are movies about criminals who've written a book, and they're millionaires now. Today, we kill unborn children. And yet we protect insects. Today on TV, we mock traditional marriage. How in the world did we get to this place? Well, it's where as people are willing to worship other things than God. Take a look at uh, Romans 1, verse 25. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. They worship the things God made, but not the creator himself. So the question we ask ourselves personally is this. What have I been idolizing? What is it in my life that is number one, that really ought to be number two? Like my career, like materialism, like hedonism, those kinds of things. Now, if this is the damage of truth decay in our culture, in our society, how in the world do we reverse it? Well, I can guarantee you this. It doesn't come about through politics, and it doesn't come about through entertainment. It comes about as you and I know the truth, that we know what we believe and why we believe it, which raises this question. Is there any way that you and I can know truth? And the answer is yes. But you and I have to have the attitude of openness. And openness just simply says, you know what? I want the truth more than anything else. I want the truth no matter how uncomfortable it makes me. I want the truth no matter what it might have me think through in regards to my past. I want the truth even if I have to put my selfishness aside and live for generations that are yet to come. Jesus said this in John 7, 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he's open, open-minded. He will find out whether or not my teaching comes from God. In other words, that it's true. So is it possible to know truth? Yes, it is. And God has given us five ways. One, through creation. Folks, we can learn a lot about God through creation. That is why science is so important. 
Take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, you and I don't need just the Bible to know truth. Folks, you and I can know truth as we go on a walk. That's why I like to go to Colorado, okay? <laughs> Man, uh, God is there, okay, through creation, okay? When you go on a walk, when you go to Colorado, you can know truth. You can know that God loves variety. Do you know how many? There are thousands of different types of Beatles. Peter, Paul, okay? John, Ringo. There's all kinds of different kinds of uh, be, uh, be, Beatles out there. You can learn that he is powerful, that he is organized, that he is balanced. We can learn that from God, couldn't we? Balanced lives. No, I couldn't. We can learn that he loves process. Now, here's the deal. There is no contradiction between the discoveries of science and faith. There are contradictions between the theories of science and faith. But there are no contradictions between discoveries of science and faith because all truth is God's truth. God is the one who thought of it, and we as scientists are the ones that discover it. It's like dropping a pencil. We can, wow, gravity, okay, cool. Take a look at this verse, Romans 1, 19. The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. Like I shared last week, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Okay, I don't have enough faith to believe in a atheist because when I look at a Rolex watch called the, called the universe and see all the order, all the process, all the beauty, I can't come to the place and believe that it just happened by chance. Now, I love to talk with atheists. I love to talk with people who are seeking faith. And with atheists, I always oftentimes ask them, how much knowledge do you think that you possess? 10%, 1%, or 0.1%? And if they're humble, they say, well, about 1% of the, of the universe. So you, you, you don't know 99.9% .9 of the knowledge of the universe. You're telling me that it's not possible in that 99.9% .9 of what you don't know that God doesn't exist. Yep. That's called arrogance. Now let me get down to it. It's not what you don't believe. It's why you don't believe it, isn't it? The truth is you don't want to believe that there's a God because you would have to change your ways. And it's not like you can't change your ways. You don't want to change your ways. You want to be God. And that's called faith. We can know through creation that there is a grand designer. Secondly, we can know through conscience. God has hardwired some things within us. He has hardwired within us where we know what is right and what is wrong. Let me give you an example. Let's say I did this survey, and I set this survey up like this. Hey, there's this old lady. She's blind as a bat. She's getting ready to cross the street. Which is morally right? To ignore her 
to help her across the street or push her into oncoming traffic. Folks, we intuitively know what is right and what is wrong. It doesn't matter what your religion is. You may be a Jew. You may be Hindu. You may be a, a Muslim. You may be a Christian. It's been hardwired within us. Take a look at this verse out of Romans 2, 14. This shows that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but it's woven into the very fabric of our creation. This is something deep within us that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Now the problem with conscience, though, is this, that it can be twisted, that it can be warped, that it can be corrupted, that it can be killed like Hitler, okay? The more you and I violate our conscience, and we've done it a hundred times, the more whacked out it gets. But the point is this, God has hardwired right and wrong within us. The third way that you and I can consider truth, to build the good life, okay, is this, through consideration. In other words, you and I can observe it. You and I don't observe truth by faith. We don't know truth by faith. Folks, you prove it. Truth is intelligent. It is rational. It's observed. I did this wedding out in Quinlan Friday and Saturday. And I, not trusting technology on my iPhone, printed out a Google map. I used it to get there Friday. Because my gray cells are grayer, I didn't trust my memory to get me back the same way. I used Google Maps again, okay? If I did that again and again and again and again, you know what would happen because I use my brain? I know some of you question that, but nevertheless, I use my brain. Is that I would begin to observe that this map is true. Because it always gets me to my destination. Folks, truth can be considered. It's rational. It's reasonable. God has given you and I a brain, and a lot of times he wants us to use it. But the problem is, in the culture and society in which we live in, we are moving so fast through it that we don't slow down long enough to use consideration. And yet the Bible again and again and again says, hey, ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about your purpose in life. Notice these verses right here in Proverbs 14, 15 in John 3. Fools will believe anything, but the wise think about what they do. Jesus said, anyone who examines this evidence, examines it, will come to stake his life on this, that God himself is truth. You see, I believe Jesus Christ is the truth. And when it comes to sharing my story with other people, I do not use fear evangelism to persuade them. I don't use fear evangelism to get them out of hell and into heaven. Why? Because, folks, it doesn't last. You see, you and I need Jesus in our life, not because we're going to die tomorrow, but because we're going to live tomorrow. And we need truth to experience the good life. And so I say, check it out. The Christian faith is worth examining. 
Now, I raise another question when it comes to the Christian faith and in regards to us, because we live in the information age. There are a lot of teachers out there. How do you know that what they're teaching is true? Let me give you two very quick points in regards to that. First of all, consider their lifestyle. Do they do what they say? Consider their lifestyle. And then secondly, listen or consider the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian and then you've dropped Jesus from your head to your heart, he has placed the Holy Spirit inside of you. And it prompts you to, to, to go towards truth and to move away from non-truth, okay? Look at this verse out of John 14. The Father will give you another helper who will stay with you forever. He is the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. Now, there is a fourth way that you and I can know the truth, and that is through God's commands. Take a look at what, 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It straightens out and teaches us to do what is right. Now, if I can discover truth through the Bible, the question that comes up is, well, how do I know that the Bible is true? Now, you may be sitting here as a Christian. You may already be there. You may be saying, well, George, I know that the Bible is true, but is there any objective evidence to that fact? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. There's what is called external evidence and internal evidence. External evidence deals with the fact that it is a reliable historical book. I don't know if you realize this, but there are more copies of the Bible. Oh, there's over 25,000 copies of the Bible, okay? More, far more than uh, the, the Caesar's Gallic Wars. There's only 10 of those. And far more than uh, Homer's Iliad, okay? It has about 600 plus of those. There are over 25,000 different copies of the Bible that people, that really smart people go back to to write these modern translations that we have. I, I need a modern translation because I have the mentality of a third grader, okay? And so I like the simple ones. It helps me understand. But that's internal evidence. Other internal evidence is archaeology. I just say this, be sick for two weeks and watch the History Channel for two weeks, okay? You're going to learn all kinds of archaeological stuff, okay? The Bible talks about these certain places, and guess what? They're there. I just watched one last night, got home late, turned on the History Channel because I had to unwind, and it was the myth about the Garden of Eden. And there is evidence of these rivers of where very, very, very possibly could be. Wow. External evidence. There's internal evidence. And this deals with the fact that something can be trusted. For instance, the Bible is filled with all kinds of eyewitnesses. Not secondhand, not thirdhand, not some myth that's been passed on from generation to generation. Eyewitnesses, meaning that Moses was there when the Red Sea, sea parted. That Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho came falling down. The disciples were there when Jesus was resurrected. And that internal evidence is consistent with other things. And it's consistent in telling one story, that God wants you and I to experience the good life salvation through his son jesus christ the gospel is the power of god unto salvation freedom i want you to watch this video clip of chris tesh
placed his faith in the gospel. Take a look at this. Didn't really grow up in a church family. Uh, grew up uh, Lutheran more than anything. Went to college just like uh, a typical uh, kid would expect to do. Kind of went along with the plan, if you will. Ended up meeting my uh, future wife. Career started to, to uh, take off. Son was uh, born actually just before we moved to Dallas. Uh, kind of fast forward about five years, and uh, things started to get a little bit, a uh, little bit bumpy in the in the relationship with my wife and I. My wife was uh, having uh, an affair on the side, and we decided to part ways. It was one of those things where you kind of lose confidence in yourself um, and don't really know uh, what you can depend on or who you can when you go through an, an experience like that. Uh, pretty much crushed me probably for about two to three months just really started to get engaged uh, in November uh, I came across a little bit more of a uh, speed bump in, in, in terms of my relationship with my ex found out that she was uh, she was getting remarried uh, and, and really was one of those things that just kind of hit me hit me right between the eyes it's a brand new relationship my son was going to get thrown into it very emotional didn't really know I was at the office later that morning after having the conversation with her, and um, I couldn't stay at the office. I uh, didn't know what to do. My boss said, hey, I need to take a personal day. Got in the car, drove out of the lot, and I was faced with really a fork in the road. It was either I could continue to do the same things that I've done, but didn't want to go there. I need to go seek somebody out. This is actually uh, December, December 3rd, 2014. Uh, and I remember that morning very vividly. At this point, I don't know that I'd ever really confirmed with myself that I'd come to Christ, if you will. Uh, I came here at LifePoint, checked in at the receptionist, and uh, I said, hey, is there anybody here that I could potentially talk to? Just got a lot of stuff on my mind. One of the pastors here, Doug Hankins, uh, invited me in. We, we sat down. Uh, you know, I, I kind of look at his at his eyes, and, and I just let it all out. Just kind of, here's my story. Here's where I've been. Here's and here's more of what I'm dealing with now. And he said, Hey, listen, if, if you want to come to Christ right now, we can do it. We prayed, and it was it was a fantastic experience probably didn't feel it immediately but i know when i went out the door and i left for that morning i felt a burden off me um it's uh it's been a fantastic uh couple of years since that point uh, my son's been very very excited about his relationship with christ and how that's growing what i've done before is i focused it purely on you know what is it going to get me at the end of the day and i would say that that relationship with christ through these last two years has really helped me engage that and give me more confidence to know that I can step out on my own and I can go experience things beyond, um, you know, the real superficial. I want that lasting legacy to be around, you know, how I interact with people and what I can contribute to them. Uh, my son's a huge focal point. If, if anybody asks me who my, who my disciple is, it's really my son, Andrew. And I, and I just look forward to seeing what the, what the years uh, continue to, to provide. Chris's life was transformed by the gospel. 
And that gospel, folks, it's found in the Bible. And yet if it remains on our bookshelf, I say this, it has no shelf life. It will not transform your life. It will not transform your kids, your family, our culture. There is a fifth way, and I love Chris's story. He's raised up in church. He considered it. It was kind of up here, but he dropped it to here. The fifth way that you can know truth is through Christ. Through creation, through conscience, through consideration, through the commands of God, through Christ. God came to the earth through the person of Jesus Christ to make truth personal and relational. When Jesus was on this earth, he said this, and this was a divisive statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He said, I, not a religion, not rules, not regulations, not rituals. He said, I, truth is personified. He said, I am. He didn't say, I hope to be. I wish that I was. I think I might be. It's a good possibility. No, he said, I am. I am what? I am the truth. Not a truth that's out there, but the truth. You see, that statement separates Jesus from every other religious leader in this world. And there are a lot of them out there. Muhammad said, you know what? I'm a teacher of the truth. Buddha said, you know what, I'm searching for truth. In fact, he said when he got to the end of his life, he hadn't found it. The Hindu scriptures teach that truth is elusive. But Jesus came along and said this, I am the truth. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to let them crucify me on the cross. And three days later, I'm coming back. That statement is divisive. My question as we end is who is Jesus to you? If he's just some savior that's in the top of your mind, you just kind of, what, whatever. You see, we're all betting our lives on something, aren't we? The atheist is betting his life that there's no God. He better be right. The average Joe Schmo on the street kind of an agnostic, I don't know if God exists, maybe he exists, but it doesn't really matter, is betting that his life is good enough. He better be right. I am betting my life that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. My Lord, my God, and my Savior. What are you betting your life on? Today, I want you settle that issue like Chris. I want you to drop it from your head into your heart. Because Jesus said, I'm the truth, and the truth will set you and I free. Let's pray. Today, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I just know... When I came to Dallas, that this is the buckle, this is the Bible belt of, of the Bible. Whoa, the buckle. I've never seen so many churches in all my life. Eight at every intersection.
And we know a lot about religion, but we don't have a relationship with him. Today, will you make it personal? Will you do what Chris did? Will you drop it from your head to your heart by just simply stating this? Doesn't matter what words you use, but something like this God, I admit that the wheels of my life are coming off and things aren't working. And I feel it on the inside, I know it. See it in my outer world through my through my relationships with my family, my kids, at work. But today, God, I believe, not just with my head, but with my heart. I believe that you came, that you lived, that you died on the cross, that you resurrected from the grave, that what you said, I can take from you. And today, God, I'm saying yes to you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Begin working in me and through me, God. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that I've committed against you, against others, and against even myself, God. Thank you for the freedom that I can have spiritually and relationally and emotionally and financially and vocationally and across the board because you are true, God. And if you prayed that prayer, in whatever words that you prayed, as long as you met it, God heard you, and he has invaded your life, and you're going to begin to experience it like Chris. Would you just let me know? Would you just fill out a communication card, write your name, maybe an email address, so I can email you some things, so we can begin some kind of correspondence to answer maybe even further questions. God, we give you this. I just thank you for your word. I thank you for church, God. What a blessing to be a part of the church family. God, help us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Help us to get in community. God, help us so that we can experience the good life. In your son's name we pray, amen.